Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. A very blessed morning to my brothers and sisters in Christ at Harvest KL. And to those who are joining us from other parts of Malaysia, I wish you an equally blessed morning. I hope you and your family have been keeping well during this time, especially uh, when things are, the industries, the economies are opening up again. Uh, and also keeping well, okay, that you're keeping well in order to uh, both take care of your family, but also being able to love and care for others who might be in need during this season. Once again, I would like to extend my heartfelt thanks to Guprit and also to Dan for the great privilege to be able to uh, share the word of God with you this morning. Now, uh, we, as we enter into the second week of December, do you feel you're drawing nearer and nearer to a special time of the year? I don't have to tell you what the, that special time is, right? At my home, okay, my two boys are already super excited, even last week. They're so looking forward to this season of Thanksgiving, of celebration, and of course, presents. Who is not looking forward to presents? Especially kids, right? They love presents. Uh, yet they also understand that Jesus came to us as an infant, and we remember his coming by commemorating this uh, special day, this month. Uh, let us begin with a question for this morning. As usual, that's what I like to do, uh, asking people a question. Okay, so this is my question for you. Do you know what does your name mean? What does your name mean? Turn to the person next to you and ask him or her, uh, what does your name mean? If the person can't answer, uh, then please ask him or her to immediately uh, take out the phone there's a smartphone and search on Google, search on Google uh, to find the answer. What does your name mean? I'll give you half a minute to do that. Yeah. And while I talk about my name, okay, my name. So my name is Oliver. Okay. Uh, now, before that, okay, before I mention my name uh, further, I must caution you, okay. Uh, finding out the meaning of the name is one thing. It is always great to know the meaning of your name. Uh, but do not veer into some kind of uh, fortune telling, using your name to determine your destiny. Okay, that is wrong. Okay, don't, don't go there. Okay? I'm just saying that you should find out the meaning of your name, but don't use it for any kind of uh, determination of your destiny or fortune. Those are wrong. Okay. So what, my name, okay. Uh, my name is Oliver. Uh, I found out that it's actually, it, it means olive tree in Latin. Oliver. Okay, it's Latin word for olive tree. Yeah, so nothing too great or strange. Yeah, about my name, I guess. What about yours? Do tell each other your, your names, uh, the, the meaning of your name, okay? And uh, what is the interesting thing that you find out about your name? You do share with those around you. If you're alone, then too bad. You have to talk to yourself. But if you're with your family members uh, while watching this, 
feel free to share your, the meaning of your name to each other. So the title for this uh, morning's sermon is What's in a Name? Okay, what's in a name? And the scripture passage for this morning is taken from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 7. Let us open in prayer. Father, we pray that as we come before you, uh, may your name be glorified this morning. Lord, we pray that you help us to uh, go deep into your word and may your word wash over us, uh, cleanse us, Lord, and help us to uh, understand more of you, to draw near to you, to grow in intimacy with you, Lord. May the Holy Spirit bring your word to understanding so that we can be transformed by it, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless us as we hear your word preached this morning. May your name be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, names are an interesting phenomenon. Everybody has name, okay? Every human being has names. Names or name, you know, they have different words in the name. So this fascinating map actually shows the most popular boys' names around the world boys' names around the world. Uh, sorry, no America here, no North and South America. <laughs> so, so you can just check, okay, if, is, is it accurate if you're from a certain country here in Europe or maybe Asia? Uh, you can see whether it's accurate. Is that the most uh, popular boys' name in your country? Now, we have last names, or here in Asia, it's usually known as family names, okay? I think in Western countries, it's called last name. But in Asian countries, or maybe African countries as well, it's called last name. Uh, it's called family name. Uh, so there's first name, there's last name or family name. Plus some of us may, have, may even have middle names, right? In some places of the world, people uh, address each other by the first name. Uh, and then the family name. Okay? While in other parts of the world, you begin an address with a person's family name. And then their first name, right? I think for, for Chinese, it's first name and then family name. But for Westerners, it's uh, those who are from the West, right? It's, for, it's the uh, first name first and then family name last. Yeah. So your, your family names are often tied to your heritage, uh, your uh, family background. It will reveal who you are. Uh, people will hold newborn babies, inquire about the name, and remark about what a good name it is or how fitting it is. Indeed, okay, our names say a lot about us. And, and as we grow, our names uh, in a great way become a part of our identity. Now, Gordon MacDonald, uh, a pastor and author, he tells this story. After giving a lecture one day, a Nigerian woman who is a doctor at a great teaching hospital in the United States uh, came out of the crowd to say something kind about the lecture I have just given. She introduced herself using an American name. What's your African name? I asked. She immediately said it to me, several syllables uh, with the musical sound to it. Uh, what does the name mean? I wondered. She answered, it means child who takes the anger away. Child who takes the anger away. When I inquired as to why she would have been given this name, 
She said, my parents had been forbidden by their parents to marry. But they loved each other so much that they defied the family opinions and married anyway. For several years, they were ostracized from both their families. Then my mother became pregnant with me. And when the grandparents held me in their arms for the first time, the walls of hostility came down. I became the one who swept the anger away. And that's the name my mother and father gave me. Child who takes the anger away. So very often when, when we call out names, we are saying something about the person being identified. There is meaning in the name. Okay? This is precisely what Isaiah, prophet Isaiah, is doing in the scripture passage this morning. Isaiah chapter 9. Verses 2 to 7. He is identifying a great king who is to come. But he doesn't stop at king or lord. He lists four names or four titles. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. But for the meaning and the importance of these names to be truly understood, Isaiah has to give us a little bit of background. He has to remind his readers of the situation in which they find themselves. So let's uh, read through Isaiah chapter 9, verses 2 to 5 first. Okay? Let me read for you. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Verse 4, for the yoke of, this, of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Now, let's have uh, some context to uh, these few verses. Okay? Life is not easy, right? Life is not easy. It's, it often seems that we face difficulties at every turn. We do now, currently, you know, we face difficulties every now and then. And the Israelites also did many generations ago. Their lives are not easy as well. When Isaiah delivered his, uh, this prophecy to the Israelites, uh, they were exiled in Babylon. And even in those days, uh, years later, right, just before Jesus came, the exile was long over. Okay, but the Jewish people found themselves under an oppressive Roman rule. As Isaiah says in the opening passage, it was a time of darkness, darkness. But in the best of ways, Israel held on to hope, a hope that their God would act on their behalf, that a savior from the line of David would come and free them and rule over them in peace and justice. And this is exactly the prophecy that Isaiah is making. A light will come into darkness. A new king will take the throne. So into that darkness, Isaiah speaks. Into the darkness of exile in Babylon, into the darkness of Roman occupation, into the darkness of our modern situations, our turmoil, and our difficulties that we face. 
Isaiah points to a shining ray of light. But it's not just that Isaiah speaks of the light to come. It's almost as if he holds a prism in the path of the light and tells us exactly what that light is. Imagine with me that that light splits into four beams, each being a specific title of Christ. These four titles mean everything. They are carefully chosen to tell us exactly how the darkness will be dispersed, to show us the shape of God's new future, to reveal to us that the best of times are on their way, and to impress upon us the wonderful things that God is doing and will continue to do among God's people. You see, God's good news is always greater than the world's bad news. So Jesus comes in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We see that the four names that adorned him, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. But why did Isaiah use these four names, these four titles to describe the coming Messiah? What do these names mean? Let's look at uh, each of them okay, in greater details. The first one, Wonderful Counselor. The word wonderful in this passage literally means incomprehensible. Okay, wonderful means incomprehensible. The Messiah will cause us to be full of wonder. Okay, wonderful, okay, full of wonder. The word is much weightier than the way it's normally used in modern day conversation. Okay, we usually say things are wonderful when they're pleasant, lovely, or just even a little bit likable. We say, oh, that's wonderful. No? I always use the word very uh, flippantly, something that we use almost every single day. Okay, yet Jesus is wonderful in a way that is boggling to the mind. It's, it's a much weightier use of the word wonder. His birth was wonderful. It's miraculous. It's wonderful. It began with a young and humble servant named Mary who willingly submitted herself to God's will. And though she was a virgin, she conceived and gave birth. Then at his birth, at Jesus' birth, a multitude of heavenly hosts sang songs of praise and directed the shepherds to the manger where they would find the baby, a baby whose birthplace was marked by a star seen in distant lands and followed by the Magi. And as this baby became a man, his life was wonderful. His teaching, his healing, his miracles were all wonderful. Wonderful because he made the blind to see, the lame to walk. Wonderful because he ate with the outcasts. Wonderful because he forgave the sins of the broken. And then when he was crucified, his sacrifice was wonderful. And his resurrection even more so. Because in that death and resurrection, a path was made for us. Our sins were forgiven and we were offered a life eternal with God. His name is wonderful. And his name is also counselor. Wonderful counselor. There is wisdom in his name. He shares in God's wisdom 
and thus he needs no counsel from others. Like God himself, this Lord can make great decisions and then carry them out. And it's not just that he is a ruling counselor. He is our counselor as well. The world is often an overwhelming place and Jesus, the counselor, directs us through the fog. And as we search for meaning and purpose in our lives, the great guiding counselor points the way to the almighty. He's always available to us. He always gives us his undivided attention. He comforts us and guides us in the right path. And into our darkness and the darkness of the world, this light shines. His name is Wonderful Counselor. That's who Christ is. The next title is Mighty God. In his name, there is greatness. Not any kind of greatness, but the greatness of God, the might of God, the power of God. To those who doubt the divinity, the Godhood of Jesus, right here in this verse, the scripture pronounces Jesus as mighty God. Jesus Christ is God himself. He is the creator of all things, through whom nothing was made without him. Everything was made through him. This king has been given all power on earth and in heaven, and no force, however great, can conquer his kingdom. This kingdom that he has created has no end. Did you know that the molecules in one drop of water, if they became grains of sand, they could build a highway half a mile wide and one foot thick from New York to San Francisco. That's the power of God's creation. From the smallest atoms to the highest mountains, great is the work of our Lord. Nothing is too difficult for him. And through these works, through his might, Jesus calls us all to our God. The might of Christ is not just in creation, but also in redemption. He calls us, he beckons us to come. He draws us irresistibly, enabling us to be his children so that we can truly enjoy intimacy, love, and relationship with God. Will we listen to the voice of this mighty God? Jesus said that his ship hears his voice. Will we hear his voice and obey him as God over our lives, our Savior, our Lord? The third name, the third title is quite intriguing, okay? It's Everlasting Father. What does that mean, right? Everlasting Father. The Hebrew phrase translated Everlasting Father uh, could be translated literally as Father of Eternity. Okay? Father of Eternity. For this reason, some have suggested that the title means that this coming Messiah is also the creator of everything. So it's kind of overlapping with the previous mention of mighty God okay, as the creator. Uh, he's the father of time and eternity, the architect of the ages. While we know this is true from, from the Bible, right, from the New Testament, John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, you know, that is not the emphasis in, in Isaiah. Isaiah is actually emphasizing something else. Okay? In, in the Hebrew construction of the phrase, father is the primary noun. Okay, father. The word everlasting uh, is the term that describes his fatherhood. So it is secondary. 
Okay, so father is the main word. He is father forever. Okay, father forever. So the Hebrew word translated everlasting has the idea of without end or in perpetuity, okay, forever. Indeed, the next verse says of the Messiah in chapter 9, verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. So there's without end. There's no end to him. So as the everlasting father, the Messiah will be a father and his fatherhood will be without end. Some people have objected that uh, this designation as father, saying that Jesus is the father, seems to confuse the roles within the Trinity. Calling father the one who is really the son. Some people think that this doesn't make sense. Even some cults, are, uh, one of them is called Oneness Movement. You might have heard of them. Oneness Movement uh, believe that uh, they use this verse as a proof text to show that Jesus really is the Father. Oneness Movement actually believe that the Trinity is all Jesus. Okay, Father is Jesus, Son is Jesus, Holy Spirit is Jesus. That's the Oneness Movement. It's a cult because they don't uphold the orthodox traditional conservative doctrine of Trinity. Uh, so they believe that it's all just one, right? But this verse is not saying that, okay? There, there cannot be more gross an error than that. What is happening here is that Isaiah is not talking about Trinitarian or anti-Trinitarian concerns. Okay, what is as Isaiah really saying? We must understand everlasting father as a term that is similar to the father of the nation. Sometimes we say father of the nation, right? So for example, the father of Malaysia, of the nation of Malaysia, is our first prime minister, Tunku Abdul Rahman. Tunku Abdul Rahman is our first prime minister, and he's the father of Malaysia. Gandhi is the father of India. Okay, the father of the nation of India is Mahatma Gandhi. The father of USA, United States of America, is George Washington, right? In ancient times, the father of the nation was viewed in much of the same way as the father of a family. It was the father who was to protect and provide for his children. In the same way, this child to be born, Jesus, right? He will become a king who will be a father to the children of Israel and also the Gentiles that will be grafted in. He will protect and provide for them. And his role as protector and provider will not be limited by aging or death. That's what it means, right? His role as father, as protector, as provider, will continue on, will continue eternally. Just how this will come about is not revealed in Isaiah's prophecy here. The full identity of the Messiah, that he is God in the flesh, the second person of Trinity, who will provide and protect, for, uh, provide and protect his people uh, by his death and resurrection on their behalf and that the Gentiles could also be grafted into the family of Israel, may be hinted here in Isaiah, but it's not clear in full, okay? It's not, it's not in clarity. But God's people will have to wait almost 700 years to see the Messiah revealed in the fullness of time. So will you embrace the guidance from the everlasting Father? He is not only able to meet the needs of this world, He is willing to meet them. He's not just able to, okay, but he's willing to meet them. He provides wisdom, direction, comfort, and strength. He provides forgiveness, grace, and love. He provides what we need for eternal life. And our Lord does this because he cares for us. He loves us. God in Christ Jesus cares enough about us 
to get involved in leading and directing our lives. And these things will be true forever, unconditionally, because his love will never end. He will be called Everlasting Father. And finally, he will be called Prince of Peace. The Hebrew word for peace is shalom. It is often used uh, to refer to calmness or tranquility, okay? that there's no conflict, uh, whether it's for individuals or for groups of people or for countries, nations, right? But this is not how the, the Jews use the word. Okay? Peace doesn't just mean the appearance of calmness or tranquility. The deeper, more fundamental, more foundational meaning of peace, of shalom in Hebrew, is the understanding that it is the spiritual harmony, spiritual harmony brought about by an individual's restoration with God. You are restored by God, and therefore you have this spiritual harmony. It's a sense of wholeness. It's about wholeness, it's about holiness. In our sinful state, we are enemies with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. Enemies of God, we are. But God demonstrated, God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Because of Christ's sacrifice, we are restored to a relationship of peace. This is the peace that we're talking about here. Relationship of peace with God. This is the deep abiding peace between our hearts and our creator that cannot be taken away, that cannot be broken. And the ultimate fulfillment of Christ's work as the Prince of Peace is this, the restoration between uh, the relationship between the man, the, 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 the human beings that God has saved, and God Almighty. But Christ's sacrifice provides more for us than just eternal peace. It also allows us to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit, the helper who promises to guide us. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit will manifest himself in us by having us live in ways we couldn't possibly live on our own, including filling our lives with love, joy, and peace. He's the spirit of peace from the Prince of Peace that gives us love, joy, and peace. This love, joy, and peace are all results of the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, okay, working in our life, the life of a believer. They are reflections of his presence within us. And although their deepest, most vital result is to have us live in love, joy, and peace with God, they can't help but spill over into our relationships with others, with people, with our neighbors. And we desperately need it. And we really need it, especially since God calls us to live with singleness of purpose with other believers. We need to live in unity with other believers in humility, gentleness, and patience, in the bond of peace. This unity in purpose and gentleness would be impossible without the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And the peace we have with God, thanks to the sacrifice of His Son. From relationships with others, the peace of God outflows into nations, into countries. In our world of brokenness, the title Prince of Peace has monumental significance. The coming Messiah will restore wholeness, not just to individuals. He will restore peace among the nations of the earth. Indeed, this is the peace that transcends all understanding. 
because the significance of this claim in and of itself is staggering. Look at this world map. The countries in red are the ones which reported armed clashes between state forces with, and rebels or with rebels okay, in the year 2021, this year. There are at least 27 ongoing conflicts as of this year. There are civil wars in Afghanistan, Syria, South Sudan, and more. There are territorial disputes in the South China Sea between Russia and Ukraine and between the Kurds and Turkey and more. There are armed conflicts between Israel, Palestine, US, Iran, India, Pakistan, and more. And not to mention terrorism, terrorism, Islamist militancy, and more. How will peace be achieved amidst all these conflicts? How can peace ever be achieved? This is the question we ask, right? And truthfully, we do know the answer. We do know the answer. Yet sometimes we are afraid to utter it as if we thought, what if this is too difficult to achieve? The answer lies in Jesus, the Prince of Peace who brings the gospel of peace. Jesus shows us how to love our enemies. And on the day when Jesus rules this earth, peace will reign supreme. But in the meantime, in this already but not yet era of the kingdom of God, we live between the tension of pain, suffering, conflicts, and of joy, peace, and grace of Christ. We live in the now, but we have hope and we look forward. The Messiah is the one who will restore wholeness among the races, among the societies, among the communities, and the nations. Discriminations will be abolished. Jesus cares about justice and righteousness throughout his kingdom and for all people. And Jesus cares about peace for us. He came that we might have rest from the burdens of our lives. He came that we, though broken vessels, might be made whole. He is the Prince of Peace. So Jesus Christ comes. And indeed, he is wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. These names say everything about who Jesus is and all that Jesus does. And so Isaiah ends this prophecy of the coming King by summing up what the names have promised. He said in verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So Isaiah ends this prophecy of the coming king by summing up the names that were mentioned in verse 6. With wisdom and power of the expected king, the new kingdom will remain unshaken. There will be no resistance which will disrupt its peace. There'll be no resistance and justice and righteousness will rule forever. The darkness will be no more. The worst of times are over. The best is coming. Light has dawned. And as we recall on this uh, Christmas season, the light came 
with the birth of a baby named Jesus. So what's in the name? Wonder, comfort, greatness, guidance, wholeness, Lord, and Savior. That is Jesus. And all of that in the man whose birth we celebrate this month. So come out of the darkness. Come out of your darkness. Come to the light, the light of the one who is light. Believe him more than ever. Cast your troubles to him and let him take away our grief. Go to him in all your troubles. He understands. He identifies with what you have experienced. And he knows how to deliver us. Deliver us from evil, from our enemies. And when we rise from this place, let us go out into the world, this beautiful season, and every day declaring his great names. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, he is Emmanuel, God with us, yesterday, today, and forevermore. Amen. Let us close in prayer. Lord, we give you glory. We give you glory for who you are. You're an awesome God who saved us. Even though we sin against you, you saved us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. We praise you for your son, Jesus Christ. He is indeed our wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. His name is Emmanuel. He is God. He is God with us. He is with us yesterday, today, and forevermore. He remains unchanging. The same before, now, and always. We give you thanks. We give you praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.